Talking Head, The Covid Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. As I was taking out the recycling this morning on my way to the car, Jemima suddenly announced that she wanted to host a garden party for the neighbourhood WhatsApp group. I said that I didn't think that was a very good idea, given the fact that due to the competitive nature of the weekly lockdown Zoom quizzes, the neighbourhood WhatsApp group had swollen to around 134 members. Jemima handed me another flattened box of wine and said that this was exactly why she wanted to host a party, as it was about time all of us met up. I tried to point out that now was literally not the time we should be meeting up with a load of strangers, but she just laughed and said that surely now that Dominic Cummings had eased restrictions on social distancing, it was fine. I said, I really don't think that a man driving to a castle with wonky eyes and a made-up fever should be considered part of the government's official strategy to ease lockdown. But Jemima just shook her head and said that she'd already sent the invitations out, so her hands were tied. When I arrived at work, I found Gavin standing over our caretaker, a worn-out 67-year-old man called Kenneth, as he slowly laid out a single line of cones across the playground. When I asked them what they were doing, Gavin said they were setting up our new one-way system. I said that it didn't look like the one-way system we had designed last week. The one that began at the north gate entrance led on to the main playground before looping back down to the south gate. Gavin said that this was because, when he had explained this route to Kenneth, Kenneth had identified a major problem. The problem being that Kenneth had lost the key to the south gate sometime last year. Right, I said, so what is the new route for families entering and leaving the site safely? Gavin said that Kenneth's plan was to lay out a straight line of cones and hope that people would instinctively keep to the left. I glared at Gavin and asked if he was being serious. Gavin just nodded. I sighed and said could we not at least put the cones out in a loop to give the vague impression of a one-way system? But Kenneth just slowly got to his feet and said that we couldn't do this as he didn't think he had enough cones. Just as I was about to take Gavin to one side and instruct him to fire Kenneth with immediate effect, Mrs Wrangle came out and said there was a telephone call waiting for me indoors. It was the local director for education who just wanted to wish me luck for today as we welcomed back more of our pupils and that he was sure everything would be fine. Thank you, director, I said, as I looked out of my window to see Kenneth slowly chasing some cones that were now blowing across the playground floor. The director then said that all schools would be visited by the authorities' health and safety representative this week to make sure they were being completely Covid compliant. I did ask whether he thought these visits would have been more useful before more children returned to school, but the director replied saying that in an ideal world, yes, but as the local authority had only managed to appoint a health and safety representative this morning, there wasn't much anyone could do about that now. I got off the phone and called for Sean. She came in saying that there was a problem with the automatic hand sanitizers we'd had installed next to every classroom door. Apparently, the sensors were oversensitive. Sean said you only had to wave at them from across the room and they would dispense neat little splodges of hand gel right onto the classroom floor. I told her to put it on Kenneth's snagging list, but Sean said Kenneth already knew about it and that his solution had been to put a plastic tray underneath each dispenser and rebadge them as a sanitising sheep dip for the children to step into every time they came into the classroom. Just as I was about to tell Sean about the impending health and safety visit, Gavin came in to say that the first wave of children were starting to enter the site. I walked out to the north gate to welcome the children and families and help them navigate our one-way system. I needn't have bothered, as most of them seemed quite happy to completely ignore the few remaining cones that were rolling around the playground and march straight down to the classrooms. I was just about to say how nice it was to see everyone again, when a parent walked past me asking me if I'd enjoyed all this time off and that it was about time I bothered to get the children back into school. 
Not knowing quite what to say, I just smiled and said how much I'd missed interacting with the parent community on a day-to-day -day basis. Once I'd made sure that all the parents had left the school site, I went round to the Year 6 bubbles to say hello and welcome the children back to school. As I entered the first bubble, taking care not to walk through the alcoholic puddle underneath the automatic hand sanitizer, I was greeted by a not all completely enthusiastic group of children, all wanting to know why they were being forced to come back to school, especially now that I had made the school an even worse place to be in. I have not made the school worse, I said. You're confusing worse with safer. Now wipe down your pencils and get back to work. The rest of my morning was spent with Gavin, keeping a close eye on Kenneth as he attempted to stick down lines of masking tape at two metre intervals along every corridor and stairwell. Along the way, I asked Gavin if he was planning on replacing the faulty automatic hand sanitizers. He said that he wasn't planning on replacing them because if he did, it will play havoc with the school's cleaning budget. But Gavin, I queried, I thought you said the government were going to reimburse schools for any additional cleaning costs incurred during lockdown. Well, that's what I thought at first, he said, but they're only reimbursing schools who stayed open over the half-term and Easter holiday. But that's us, I said. I know, said Gavin, but the additional money is only for the cleaning costs we incurred during those holiday periods. But that's not fair, I said. We only had 15 children attend school during the holiday and I did all the bloody cleaning. That's right, said Gavin, so we didn't in fact incur any additional cleaning costs. But what about the gallons of hand gel we've had to order since then, I said. What about all the PPE? What about the army of duty cleaners you said we'd be employing? Slight change of plan, says Gavin. Instead of employing a new cleaner, we've actually gone for a parent volunteer cleaner instead. I fixed Gavin with a steely glare and asked him which parent had volunteered for the role. Before he could answer, Mrs Jenkins, Kizzy's mum, comes round the corner, donned to the nines in PPE and holding a feather duster and a squeegee. She smiles when she sees me and says that she's just about to take a break and can she use my office to doff her PPE and that she might need a hand getting out of her plastic pinny. I let out an involuntary shudder and say that I think she'll find the PPE donning and doffing station is in Gavin's room and that I'm sure he'd be willing to lend her a socially distanced hand. At lunchtime, when I was outside making sure the children were safely playing nowhere near each other, a year six lad came up to me and asked why I'd split the year group into smaller classes, as now he wasn't with any of his friends. Well, I said, it's a chance for you to make some new friends then, isn't it? But he just looked down at the floor and said that there were no nice children in his new class bubble. I said that I was sure that wasn't true, but after he'd reeled off the names of a few children in his bubble, even I had to admit he had a point. I told him that, unfortunately, I couldn't do much about the children in his bubble now, but that he should try and look on the bright side. What bright side, he asked. Well, I said, being surrounded by a lot of people you don't like will be very good practice for secondary school. Later on, as I got into my car to go home, I took a quick look at Twitter to find Ryan Bottom, along with every other bloody head teacher in the country it would seem, waxing lyrical about what an emotional day it had been. Tears of love in the playground this morning, reads Ryan Bottom's tweet. What a special day to be a head teacher. Hashtag community love. I scroll through my timeline, but can't seem to find any tweets about irritated parents, apathetic pupils, or impending health and safety visits, which makes me wonder if Twitter has any basis in reality whatsoever. When I get home, I find Jemima ordering an excessive amount of garden furniture for her upcoming garden party. I say that I don't think our garden is big enough for the amount of reclaimed wicker chairs she's currently got on her shopping basket, but she just closes the laptop and asks why can't I be a bit more positive. I say that being a bit positive is exactly what I'm worried about. Jemima says I'm being melodramatic and that Joan from across the road went to a garden party yesterday afternoon and it was fine. 
In what way was it fine, I asked. Well, according to Joan, Jemima said, everyone spent the entire afternoon sitting with their backs to her. I say, yes, well, that may be more to do with people's fear of Joan rather than their fear of Covid, before asking Jemima how many RSVPs she's had from her invitations. Only Joan so far, she says. Oh, I say, so at the moment the party consists of you and Joan sitting with your backs to each other, surrounded by 150 empty wicker chairs. Excellent. Jemima stands up and says that she's going upstairs to finish her ordering and that she won't be back down until her supper is ready. Steve Templeton is on the phone the moment I step into my office this morning to ask if I think I'm ready for my health and safety inspection. I say that I'm as ready as I'll ever be and then make the mistake of asking him the same question. Steve then proceeds to list all the things he's done that I haven't. By the time he's finished talking about the portable sinks he's installed in every classroom and the giant wooden barn he's had built on the school field so his children have got somewhere spacious to go during wet play, I've had enough. I interrupt him, saying that I'd love to stay and chat, but I've got a virtual assembly to deliver on YouTube and I need to get the green screen ready. Steve laughs and says that I'm always one step ahead of him. I laugh and say aren't I just, before hanging up and emailing a list of all of Steve's ideas to Gavin, complete with the title Do This Now. Gavin immediately comes into my office, saying do I have any idea the havoc this list will play with the school's budget? But before I can say anything, Sean comes in to say that as she was greeting the Year 6 children into school this morning, the parents were all complaining about Year 6 camp. She says they're all demanding their deposits back. I turn to Gavin, who was already shaking his head and saying that the company we booked the camp through are refusing to pay the money back, saying that this is the whole point of deposits in the first place. I turn back to Sean, who says the parents think the school should pay, as if it wasn't for the school they wouldn't have paid for their children to go on a school camp. I turn to Gavin, who says that technically the parents all have individual contracts with the camp provider and as such all disputes should be dealt through them directly. I turn back to Sean, who says that the parents are of the opinion that the school acted as broker and are therefore liable for issuing refunds. I turn to Gavin, who says that refunding every parent will play havoc with the school's budget. I turn back to Sean, who says that this is already over Facebook and that some parents are threatening to go to the press. I turn to Gavin, and before he can say anything, I tell him to start writing the cheques. Later, as I'm doing yet another pre-health and safety inspection walkthrough, I find Kenneth on his hands and knees pulling up all the two-metre strips of tape that he had put down yesterday morning. I ask him what he thinks he's doing, and after he slowly gets up and straightens himself out, he says that he'd heard the safe distance was now one metre plus and not two metres. I point out to Kenneth that two metres is still one metre plus, so all the strips could have just stayed where they were. Kenneth asks me if I really want him to put all the strips back down where they were. Yes, Kenneth, I say, I do, before asking him if he needs a tape measure, to which he replies no, as he's got a good eye for this sort of thing. Finding that exceedingly hard to believe, I go back to my office to find him one. On my way there, I pass our key worker reception classroom, and as I do, Miss Pringle pops out to ask if I could lend a hand with Frankie Wallace. Miss Pringle says that he's finding the bubbles a bit overstimulating. I tell Miss Pringle I'm not entirely sure what she means, at which point she opens the classroom door. I look inside and see little Frankie Wallace standing on his chair and blowing bubbles all over the other children, who are gayfully dancing about trying to catch them. I ask Miss Pringle where on earth did he get that bottle of blowing bubbles from. She says that she bought them in because with all the talk of bubbles she thought it would be a nice treat. I close the door and ask Miss Pringle what part of children blowing bubbles over each other in the middle of a pandemic was the treat. Was it the physical act of blowing the bubbles or was it perhaps the playful transmission of human droplets flying through the air at great speed and popping over other children's faces? Miss Pringle winced and said that she thought it would be okay as the bubbles were made of soap. 
Yes, unless they're also 90% proof, Miss Pringle, I said. It really isn't OK. I opened the door, put on a visor and walked towards the blowing child. Five minutes and one very disappointed child later, and I was back in my office, with the bottle of bubbles now safely in my confiscation drawer, along with the eight tubes of lipstick, three packets of chewing gum and Michael Gove's King James Bible. Mrs Wrangle knocked on the door to say that a health and safety representative had just been on the phone to say that they would be visiting the school tomorrow morning. And did you tell them, Mrs Wrangle, I said, like we agreed, that you thought they might have the wrong number? Yes, she said, but they just replied saying they didn't think so and that Steve Templeton had given them our school number earlier on. I thanked Mrs Wrangle and made a mental note to never speak to Steve Templeton again. As I lay in bed, waiting for my snooze alarm to go off for the fifth time, Jemima turned to me and asked me what time I'd be home that evening. I said that I wasn't sure, as it depended on two things. How today's health and safety inspection went, and what time her garden party was starting. Jemima said that she was expecting her guests at four o'clock, and that if I was intending to join them, could I at least try not to look too knackered. I said that I would do my best before I silenced my alarm for the last time, and got up to make Jemima breakfast. I arrived at work to find Gavin arguing with Kenneth by the school gates. By the time I got there, Kenneth was in the middle of saying that he didn't see the point in him having to lay out the one-way system of cones again, as surely parents had gotten the idea by now. Gavin was trying to explain to Kenneth that it was still very important to put the cones out, as there were a different set of class bubbles coming to school today who wouldn't know about the one-way system. Kenneth shook his head, saying that this all seemed like a very inefficient way to run a school if you asked him, as he slowly crouched down and began gradually laying out one cone after another on the playground floor. I took Gavin to one side and said that under no circumstance was the health and safety representative to come into contact with Kenneth during today's visit, and if that meant Gavin had to lock Kenneth up in the PE shed like he did during the last Ofsted inspection, then so be it. I opened my office door only to find Mrs Jenkins cleaning my desk with an antibacterial cloth. She said good morning before adding that she was nearly done and would I like her to give my knob a quick wipe. I rolled my eyes and said that I was more than capable of cleaning my door handle, thank you very much Mr Jenkins, and if she could leave the innuendos alone for five minutes and get back to cleaning the staff room, that would be marvellous. She opened her mouth, but luckily, before she could say anything, Mrs Wrangle came in and said that the health and safety representative had just arrived. I ushered Mrs Jenkins out of my office and asked Mrs Wrangle if she could remember the drill. Mrs Wrangle nodded and said that she was not to let him in the building unless he could show her three forms of identification and had read all 18 pages of the About Our School Visitors Information Pack. Ninety minutes later and I was sitting with Roger Callum, the local authority's health and safety representative. I've gone through your risk assessment, he said, and it's very much a written document. Oh, I said, not really sure what he meant. Thank you. Just a few quick questions, he said. Have your staff read it? I thought back to the virtual staff meeting two weeks ago where, on account of me not being able to work out how to share my screen, I had simply waved each page of the risk assessment in front of the camera. All staff, I said, have seen it. Excellent, Roger said. And did any of them have any questions? I cast my mind back and, apart from the odd comment of hold it still, I genuinely couldn't remember anyone asking any specific questions. So I said, none that weren't addressed at the time. That's great, Roger said, as he ticked something off on his clipboard. And has it been shared with the union members? I thought about the last conversation I'd had with Mr Stevens, the school's union rep, that had ended with me threatening him with a disciplinary. Well, I said, there has certainly been some dialogue. Brilliant, said Roger. And finally, have the governing board signed off the risk assessment? I thought about the email to my chair of governors that was still sitting in my outbox. Well, you know governors, I said. They haven't got back to me yet. 
Roger laughed and said that I wasn't the only head teacher to have said that to him during these visits. Roger then said he wanted to go on a quick tour so we could see some of the safety precautions in action. We went out into the corridor and he immediately began eyeing up Kenneth's tape markings on the floor. He got out the risk assessment, saying to himself that it says here these are placed out at two metre intervals. I tried to move him on by asking if he wanted to try out one of our special sanitising sheep dips, but he wouldn't budge. Instead, he got out a tape measure and began to measure the distance between two bits of tape, before getting back up and commenting that the distance between them was ever so slightly more than two metres. Roger said that this could give children an inaccurate perception of what two metres felt like. I tried to point out that at least they would be struggling with that inaccurate perception whilst not dying of coronavirus, but Roger said that I should either relay the tape so the distance matched the one stated in the risk assessment or update the risk assessment to two metres plus. Thinking about how long it would take Kenneth to redo the markings for a third time, I said that I would probably opt to update the risk assessment. Roger then went out to the playground and asked where the one-way system was. I looked around to see if there were any signs of the cones, but they'd evidently all blown away. Well, I said, the one-way system is primarily for drop-off and pick-up, so we only have it installed during those specific times of the day. Roger asked if I thought that put unnecessary strain on the school caretaker. I laughed and said that our Kenneth was made of sterner stuff and that he relished the challenge of putting in place all the necessary precautions to help keep the school safe. Roger then asked if it was possible to meet Kenneth, to which I said sadly not, as he was busy building a new barn in the lower field for when it was wet play. As Roger and I returned to my office, we met Akram, who was standing outside my door. I asked Akram why he was there, and he said, Because you told me to, in it, sir. You said come and say something about bubbles when you were with the man. I laughed, and said to Roger, This is one of our more charming children, Mr Callum. Roger smiled and offered Akram his elbow, which to his surprise, Akram gripped with his hand and began shaking it up and down. Well, what is it you wanted to say, Akram, I said. Akram shrugged, and said that he was in a bubble, and could he have one of my headteacher stickers now? Roger asked Akram what it was like being in a bubble. It's a bit boring, Akram said, but it's not too bad because all the kids from all the other bubbles meet down at the park after school, innit? Before Roger could say anything, I gave Akram a sticker and told him to get back to class. As he skipped away, Sean came in, clutching a load of cones, and asked where the hell Kenneth was. I glared at her and introduced her to Roger, who again offered up an elbow. As Sean dutifully tapped it with her own elbow, taking care not to drop the cones, Roger said that he had heard Kenneth was building a barn in the lower field. Sensing that Sean was about to be just as helpful as Akram, I suggested that she go and find Gavin, whom I was certain would be able to help her locate Kenneth. After Sean had left my office, muttering something about not being paid enough to put up with this nonsense, Roger picked up his suitcase and thanked me for my time, adding that he was happy to report that we were, in his opinion, fully Covid compliant. I asked him if he was serious, to which he said yes. More than a little stunned, I asked him, out of interest, what would a school have to do in order to not be Covid compliant? He thought about it for a second before saying he didn't really know, as so far that hadn't happened. What, never, I asked. No, he said. Not since the director had been very clear with him that parents needed to be fully reassured their children would be perfectly safe when they returned to school. Right, I said, so if I told you that we don't have a one-way system in place, and that my soon-to-be-retired caretaker is so inept he had to be locked away in a PE shed in order to keep him out of harm's way, you would still maintain that the school was Covid compliant? Roger began walking out of my office laughing, saying that Steve Templeton had told him he'd enjoy his visit here, and that I was indeed a very funny man. I arrived home last night to find Jemima waving farewell to the last of her garden party guests. I apologised for being late, but Jemima said not at all, and that I was just in time to help tidy up. 
From the state of the garden, you would have thought that the great Gatsby had been the guest of honour. There were discarded bottles of Prosecco all over the lawn, and someone had knocked a whole tray of volivants over my chrysanthemums. I take it the party was a success then, I asked. Jemima smiled and said that I would have hated every minute of it. Oh, it was that good, I said. Jemima said that it had been a bit awkward at first, what with everyone standing at different ends of the garden and having to WhatsApp each other because no one could hear what anyone else was saying, but after a while, everyone loosened up. In fact, what really got everyone going, said Jemima, as I sat down and began to munch in a leftover mini falafel, was when Joan had forgotten she was still wearing her face mask as she attempted her first tequila slammer. I mean, when that happened, said Jemima, everyone got the giggles, including Joan, once she'd rinsed the lime out of her left eye, and from then on in, the party was a roaring success. Right, I said, and did people maintain social distancing throughout the evening? I think so, said Jemima. I mean, maybe not during the conga, but then again, that ended pretty swiftly once Mr Wilkins from over the road began coughing, although he maintains that was because the falafel was too spicy. I leaned over and spat out what was left of the mini falafel in my mouth over the sweet Williams, and said that I would clear up tomorrow, and that now I was going to bed. When I arrived at work this morning, I found that Roger Callum had emailed our Covid compliance certificate. Apparently, I had to display the certificate in the school foyer, so any parent or visitor could see it. I printed it out and gave it to Gavin to stick on the wall, choosing to ignore the fact that no parent or visitor would ever get to see it on account of our risk assessment being very clear that no parent or visitor was ever allowed in the school foyer. Just then, Sean came in to say that she had just spoken to some of the Year 6 parents on the playground and they wanted to know what we were doing for the Year 6 end-of-year graduation. I asked her if she had told them my idea to let them walk out of the school gates five minutes earlier on the last day while Sean, Mrs Wrangle and I clapped them from my office window. Sean said that all the parents felt their children deserved something more ambitious. Like what? asked Gavin. Sean said that she had suggested having a socially distanced ceremony on the school field with speeches and poetry readings. Well, OK, I said. What would we need for that? Sean said that we would need to think about suitable outdoor seating, to which Gavin said that to hire enough garden furniture for adults to sit on would play absolute havoc with the school budget. What else would we need? I asked. Sean said that all we'd need is a portable PA system and someone to stream the service for any family members unable to attend due to our social distancing restrictions. Well, I said, not that you can understand a damn word anyone says when they talk through it, but I suppose we could always use the fire drill megaphone for the speeches. And I'm sure Mrs Wrangle wouldn't mind filming the ceremony on her phone. Sean said that she wasn't sure if Mrs Wrangle's phone had a camera. Yes, I know that, Sean, I said, but she can pretend to film it, can't she? And we'll just say we ran into technical difficulties when we tried to upload it to the cloud. That's all very well, said Gavin, but what about the garden furniture? At that moment, Mrs Wrangle came in to say that my wife had just called to say that she had developed a persistent cough and could I book her in for a Covid test. I thanked Mrs Wrangle for the message and told Gavin not to worry about the garden furniture as I knew where we could lay our hands on some, although we might want to get Mrs Jenkins to clean it all first. I then put on my coat and said that I was going home and that if anybody wanted to get hold of me, I'd be driving my wife to the nearest COVID testing centre. You have been listening to Talking Head, The COVID Diaries, written and performed by Tim Browse. All characters and events are entirely fictitious and are not based on any real people or events. Any similarities are entirely coincidental and should be taken up with Her Majesty's Government. For more Brained Comedy, visit our website, brainedcomedy.com, and subscribe to our podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, and all good podcatchers.